Welcome to the Top Order Podcast. Retro week of a test match at the home of Cricket Lords. We've got match analysis, key moments, players and talking points. Thoughts and changes for the second test coming up at Trent Bridge. We've also got Greg Barclay's comments about test cricket and the Australia-Sri Lanka series underway. All coming up on the Top Order Podcast. Stay tuned. So, guys, look, I guess we've got to start with the Test Cricket at the home of Cricket Lords in St. John's Wood, London. A, a game between, I guess, our two nations. Bordy, you want to jump in, I think, and referee this, maybe? Yeah, I probably should just explain, do a little bit of explaining here for people in the room. I do have my underpants on the outside of my uh, jeans this afternoon because I'm going to be playing the Top Order podcast's Captain Obvious. It turns out that having 1,200 wickets in your Test Cricket team is much, much better than not having 1,200 test wickets in your cricket team. Anderson and Broad just demolished New Zealand in in that test match at Lords. They were sensational. They're back in the side. It's like they never left. They never should have left. They, they, were, they were awesome. Yeah, they were. They were. Potts was good too, I thought. Potts, yeah, I think he added a lot to that bowling lineup. I, um, I'm sure we'll talk about him in more detail. But, yeah, I mean, Binksy obviously must have been super excited to firstly just get that win. I know you obviously... Playing it up for the listeners at home, three uh, 0 You know that's that's part of your game, saying that that was going to happen. But I'm sure must you know hugely hugely excited to see that response from England. Yeah, look, I, I, look, this is my recollection. I definitely said that, and then when we turned the tape recorder off, I said, really, I think we'll probably nick the first Test match because we'll catch New Zealand a little bit cold, and it's probably our only chance of winning. Uh, a test match so look I'll still go with that theory you, you've got some guys that have had a little bit of time in the middle now um, obviously the unfortunate injury to Colin de Gronholm but in a way that might actually help you with Henry Nichols coming back Blundell scoring some runs in that uh, that game it probably might give you that opportunity of a bit of a better um, balance but yeah look I think the fascinating thing and the, they mentioned it quite a lot on the commentary was the, just the amount of Seamers wickets in that test match I think 1800 it's the most new ball or opening bowler wickets ever ever on a mm. um, a cricket pitch and they kind of look back to see whether there was a game with like an Ambrose and Walsh with Wakar and Wazim and went through all those combinations and couldn't find one with more wickets as a combination uh, as Broad, Anderson, it wasn't Sandy even and Bolt. It wasn't even close. It was 500 wickets or yeah, yeah. something like that. So yeah, look, um, the pitch I don't think did either side too many favours. If that had been a typical Lord's wicket, like we certainly would have been, we'd have probably given refunds on day three as well because it would have absolute, it would have been a, a shambles if there had been a bit more pace. What, what do we generally think? I'm going to ask you a question, Stu. Do you think that it was a brave decision to bet first? Was it the correct decision? In hindsight, was it not? What do you think? Well, in hindsight, it doesn't look very good, <laughs> does it, when you're 45 for, for seven? But to be honest, I, I want to, I mean, was it actually that hard to bat? I I know that they um, Daryl Mitchell talked about after the first day. He kind of talked about how it was moving around quicker than they thought. That that was that seemed to be the the thing that maybe caught the New Zealanders out. But I don't know. It just felt to me like one of those days where people nicked everything, or you know, like it didn't seem like there was hundreds of balls going past the bat or anything like that. I, I don't know. England caught well. England caught and fielded exceptionally well. If we think back to the Ashes series last year, England's catching in the slips was an absolute diabolical shambles. I know, I know. But but by comparison, their slips catching here, I mean, sure, they had seven slips at one point, and that makes it easier. But 
they picked up an early good catch with Johnny Bairstow, and then he caught another one off the rebound off his chest. And so all of a sudden, you kind of pouch two good ones, and then your slips catching is all of a sudden you're thinking, yeah, I want the ball to come to me. And there's like six blokes here, so if I miss it, it's going to hit me, and that one of the others will get it. So I think England just took all of their opportunities, which we haven't seen them do in a, in a long while. And all of a sudden, you know, New Zealand are 30 well, you're right. for six at lunch. That, that, that spectacular left-handed catch that uh, Bairstow took, and then the one off the tip, those go down in prior series, and that, that changes the whole game but i i feel like i feel like pots was was the x factor a little bit for me especially in that first session just being able to have that sustained pressure after jimmy and and broad were finished you had this guy come on just bowl great lines great lengths move the ball a little bit this way a little bit that way and it was our downfall for our top order yeah look, I, I guess we've seen Look, and let's not get too carried away. The lads played one test match. He's no Scott Boland, and um, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, look, really, really good performance on debut. But Ollie Robinson, seven wickets on debut uh, a little over a year ago. Um, you guys may or may not remember Toby Roland-Jones, who ended up with a total of 17 test wickets and got, I think, eight or nine of those in his first game. I think, again, a debut, but Laws disappeared without a trace. Yes, there was some injury there. Um, to Raj's point, though, which I think is a really key one, he was following a great new ball partnership, whereas England haven't necessarily had that luxury the way they've chopped and changed with rotation. They've always seemed to you know, be playing maybe one of those two, Broad and Anderson, and then followed with... Um, let's be honest, I'm, I'm going to call it out lesser bowlers because they are lesser bowlers than guys with 600 and nearly 500 test wickets respectively. So um, Potts definitely benefited from that. But I think I said to you on the on the text on the first morning, I, I didn't think it was actually really doing all that much. Yeah. It, it seemed as if the wickets were always going to come because you got a fragile bat inside and a decent bowl inside. And then we saw that repeated when England went out to bat as well. But it, it, wasn't, it wasn't like watching one of those tests for sessions where you thought every single ball was going to be a wicket it, it actually looked pretty um pretty placid and then yeah like you say it just nicked everything and, and the England caught and caught well I was actually really surprised uh when I saw the pitch because I I saw I watched it the next day um the pitch was actually quite brown I expected mm. it to be be green I think it may have been a little bit underdone you know, as you saw, as the test match got went on, it became a lot easier to bat. Day five would have been a great chase if there was a, a big total there for either team. But um, look, I, I think that it comes down in the end of the day to what you've said, Bordy, that great catching by England, which is a massive change from what happened in prior series, and having those those, those wickets, those that experience, those great bowlers uh, on the first day. What do you make of... Uh, spin in this test match so we had jack leach uh didn't not bowl much didn't bowl much got got substituted for parkinson who got the last wicket i believe was last wicket and uh, ajaz didn't bowl much what do you guys make of um spin in this test uh, i don't uh, i mean uh, i don't know i mean before we go get into the weeds a little bit can we just actually talk about what a bonkers test this was because i like honestly i was watching those those first sessions I, the day by day three i had to actually stop watching i was trying all sorts of different things in my living room like it just you you know we talked about how uh we it didn't feel like one of those tests where every ball was going to be a wicket but it's certainly what I felt like. I think New Zealand pretty much that I watched the you know I would watch the two hours before lunch, go go to go to sleep, wake up and see the highlights and stuff in the morning, and then catch little bits later on in the evening for the rest of the workday. I, I had to listen on the radio because I thought like, like I just can't watch New Zealand get out 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 again. And then you wake up in the morning and you watch the highlights and the game's completely flipped on its head. Even that like that 
it made the fourth day so weird because nothing happened. England just cruised to victory. I, I don't know. It just feels like such a weird test match. Yeah, look, definitely agree with your sentiment around it being a really weird test match. I think the great thing for us from a time zone perspective was it did seem as if that first two hours was the best two hours to watch on each mm. day. So you kind of, I got up to lunch, went to bed, um, got up the next morning. You could you could get away with the 17-minute highlights because you did see pretty much everything you needed to see in the second and third sessions. Maybe the best for you. It wasn't, it wasn't very fun for me. Well, well, yeah. And look, the tables have turned and, and it's nice to see that because, um, you know, it's been long times between drinks for the England uh, Test cricket team. Spin, ineffectual in, in the game. Um, the fact that it did accelerate, it was a real new ball wicket, wasn't it? I think um, both sides talked about. Um, Ajaz, I think... I don't know. Stokes really just hit him out of the attack almost um, with those three sixes. Two one-over spells. Yeah. Um, And then Parkinson, and I've got this in my notes and really wanted to ask you two because a lot was made, um, and I'm sorry for those of you not watching the podcast, um, um, I'm pointing at Baldy and and Lippy here as the two spinners in the room, but a lot of talk about Parkinson bowling at somewhere like 45 miles an hour. I don't know what that is in KPH, um, but certainly probably five... Yeah, five or six miles an hour slower than, uh, say, a Shane Warne. Uh, not obviously making a comparison between Parkinson and Warne other than they bowl the same style. And um, what you know, what difference does that make? Was it the fact that you know the pitch wasn't doing it quickly enough for the spinners? Was it the actual spinners on show, or was it the the conditions? It looked like. Contrary to the the pace bowlers who were getting to the ball to to nip, and when it did move off the seam, looked like it moved pretty quickly and and had decent carry. I felt like Matt Parkinson didn't really grasp the the speed that he needed to bowl on that wicket. It looked like it was a slow-turning wicket, and on slow-turning wickets, you need to bowl a little bit quicker and flatter through the air. From the highlights that I saw, he did bowl a lot of full deliveries, and he bowled a lot of balls that were able to be put away for a boundary, which puts you under pressure as a spinner because all of a sudden, like Ajaz, you're just trying to stay on. And I think he probably reverted to safety first and just tried to stay at the bowling crease and tried to slow his game up, slow everything down and go, okay, I'm just going to take my time here. I'm going to bow a little bit slower through the air, give it a bit of flight and see how we go. And that was probably the wrong strategy for him on that wicket. He, I think if it was a slow turning wicket, in, when, in my experience, you need to bowl a little bit faster on slow turning wickets to see if you can get one or two to zip. If it's a, if it's a fast bouncy wicket, then you could be a little bit slower through the air and you'll get that natural bounce and, and turn and it will turn quicker for you or, or it will appear that way to the batter. But you know, the New Zealand batters were able to use their feet to pour deliveries and then put them away through both sides of the wicket. And that was the real problem for Parkinson is that he erred on both sides of the wicket and he was able to be put away without too much risk at all for at least a boundary and over. Yeah, well, the thing about Parkinson, I mean, I I don't know that he's going to bowl much quicker. It seems to me, all the bits that I've seen him, that's how he bowls. He bowls a slower, slower pace of delivery. And I think with, you know, a couple of things that you said there that to pick up on is that you just have a less margin for error. You know, if you bowl sl- really slow, if you don't get it exactly right, then it sits up. People can play you off the pitch easier. People, you know, good batters have time to come down, use their feet. It's It just means that some days it's not really going to go right for you. And if I think the encouraging thing for Parkinson is that Stokes actually brought him on at a couple of times when New Zealand were attacking. He brought him on to Saudi at that point and and picked up that wicket. And I think that's hugely beneficial if we compare it to how Ajax was used. I think you're, you're right there. And the point I wanted to make was that 
great players of spin. I'm talking about the the Indias, the the other subcontinent teams, even Australia. They're going to come down the wicket to him at that speed and just just put him away. And that, that's a lot. Daryl Mitchell did that a little bit. I saw that. And then because of his speed, he bowled a lot into Blundell's little leg side, mm. you know, release that uh, he was able to get ones and, and even hit a couple of boundaries onto the leg side, which helped that partnership a lot. I thought it actually unfortunately allowed New Zealand to get away a little bit took a little bit of the pressure off you're, you're right though the margin for error when you're at 45 miles an hour less than sort of 80k is very very low you have to be absolutely perfect and you have to be prepared that you are going to get hit by a guy who's going to use his feet to you because he's got enough time I actually think Matt Parkinson if he if he learns from this test he needs to be a little bit quicker through the air at test level than he has been at maybe county level where batters aren't as used to or bold enough to come down the pitch to him and, and hit him through the field or over the field? T technical thing here, and this is a genuine question, as a spinner, how easy is it to just go on, I'm going to bowl three miles an hour quicker? Oh, I wouldn't say it's easy. I, w I think it's something you'd have to work for. I mean, I don't know, if you asked a fast bowler to bowl, you know, it's, it's your whole rhythm, isn't it? And if you're, you're having to bring your arm down faster, do, you know, all sorts of different things that you can do to increase that speed... Yeah, you're you're going to have to change what you do, and I think you know we've what we've learned from, well, particularly being a spin bowler, is that that repetition over and over and over again. That's how you get your rhythm. That's how you get your line and length. It's yeah, for me, it was all, it you know everything kind of had to be. I wanted to repeat absolutely everything that I did in in general. So yeah, I, I don't think it'll be easy, and I I actually don't think it's a you must do it this way. We've seen millions of different bowlers do things all sorts of different ways. It's just that he's got to have. I think Stoke, yeah, like I just said, Stokes is going to have the confidence, have to have the confidence that some days it's not going to go right for him if he's in the in the team. But other days, people are going to attack him, and he's going to take a lot of wickets. And you know uh, that's just what you're going to have to live with. And yeah, I mean, like I said, w with the Ajaz, what what it Kane Williamson's going to have to decide what he's there for because at this stage he bowled two one over spells. If he's not going to bowl Ajaz in that third session when Stokes has been dismissed. And you've got, you know, 150 runs to play with, 100 runs to play with. Soft cricket ball. When is it? When when is he going to bowl? And if he's not in a, you know, if he's and if he's not going to be an attacking option, and he's your containing bowler, we've actually got better. Someone like Neil Wagner should be in the side and doing that job because they can do it a lot better. Raj is grinning at me because <laughs> you know, I'm sure you don't. You think he should have been there from the start. I'm. I've got conflicting. Uh uh, Emotions, sources, no sources, telling saying whether he was available or not. I think he was a little bit underdone mm. from from coming over from asking him to play Test cricket and bowl the way he bowls after having a shortened sort of uh, warm up period or lead into the series. Um, I just I I think he may not have been available or he, they may have chose not to play him for that test. But I want to I want to sort of sum this up with the question I asked earlier about the pitch with where the New Zealand made the decision that they were going to bat first because they wanted to bowl last with Ajaz Patel. They thought maybe it would, uh, you know, go that way for them, and then it didn't. And then he didn't really – he bat, he faced more balls than he actually bowled. So is that a faux pas by the selection there? Is that something that we need to look at from a strategy perspective? I, I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's definitely something they have to look at with a strategy perspective in terms of what Ajaz's role is. The, the, the faux pas is that – the top four batters scored 50 runs in this test match for lost eight wickets for the loss of eight wickets. You know, he's been, if you're thinking about Ajaz and his role in the side, he's been let down massively by that fact. If they get, you know, a hundred more runs in each innings, it's a completely different game. I mean, you can say that about any game, obviously, but like 
if you're thinking about how those players are going to be used. And and actually, if you're thinking about how New Zealand's attack is going to be used, is AJ, you know, is AJ realistically the your fifth best option in that squad to pick up a wicket sixth best I don't know I you know I think all of those top four, all of those seamers that we have over there you'd probably back them in English conditions to take a wicket more than you would AJ's in a you know in a spell or something like that so I, I think it's he's been let down really by the batters and setting up that situation and it, we're not going to win many test matches if we got 50 for 50 for eight in it with our top four I'll leave you with one thought and then we'll talk about the batsman do you reckon uh don't have to answer this. Do you reckon Jimmy Neesham would have been more useful than AJ Patel in this test? Let's talk about Joe Root. Let's talk about <laughs> Joe Root. Binksy, tell us what you think about Joe Root. Look, it's difficult to really talk about Joe in any other sense than just read the press that's come out over the course of the last um, few days. You could see how much it meant to him. You saw the emotion that kind of came out. And that emotion, I think, was five years of bottled up um, I've done everything. I've driven the bus. I've given the throwdowns. I've massaged people. I've sorted out, <laughs> sorted out. You know who's allowed to go in for breakfast, lunch, and dinner with the COVID protocols, um, and has literally carried that side on his back for um, at least the last couple of years. Um, so yeah, to see him, uh, yeah, to see him sort of perform on that stage, his first fourth innings hundred in his test career. So for the, the only time so far that he's managed to, to do that in the last innings of a test match, which I find um, yeah, astounding. But the, th- the point that I want to make, and um, I don't do a lot of prep or research for these podcasts, as many listeners will be able to tell, but I did leave myself a voice note the other day to, to bring this point up because it, it just kind of came to me as I was driving along the motorway. England have had an obsession over the course of the last three, four years of trying to translate some of the white ball form of players like Johnny Bairstow and Joss Butler and Joffrey Archer, Jason Roy, Jason Roy into test cricket. If anyone wants a blueprint of how to bring white ball nous into test match cricket, look at Joe Root. His last 70 runs came at a strike rate of 100. He knew exactly when to pull the trigger um, and start to, you know, to play a really, really sensible innings. He barely took a risk in that last 70 runs. And um, as much as I was pessimistic waking up on day four thinking, well, if they get Root out, this is all over. I just never felt he was going to get out. I was just sort of, I was fighting my own emotions of this is going to end extremely horribly. So we are absolutely pissing this. As soon as that first ball, right? He faced that first ball. He came down the week. It was like, oh, okay, game over. Um, so look, absolutely amazing. And then, you know, the other thing, should he bat at three? Absolutely not. If he wants to bat at four and can do that, I I could not give him monkeys. You know, he's often in at 20 for two. They keep going on about, well, batting at three is just like opening except one ball later. So is number four in an England side. So shut up and let him get on with it. Um, but yeah, Joe Root, legend. Who, who saw him balance his bat? As well. He's I a wizard. It is What's a, going on? It is a new balance. Yeah, yeah. I know. Unbelievable. <laughs> he must have it cut off at the bottom. It's What's apparently it's a yeah. Yeah, square right. toe. Unbe- but unbelievable. It took, yeah, when I saw those clips, it took me a while to figure out what All was going on. Seen this, I'm I haven't seen oh, it. Oh, mate, he's a, he's a wizard. It's, it's, just, just, it's just balancing there and he grabs it as he goes off to run. It's absolutely yeah. astounding. What about the stats for Root, though? And all... That was creepy for, stat, for a statsman, Baldy. All of those things that kind of lined up for Root, the the 100, the 10,000 runs, and doing it on the exact same, at the exact same age to the day as Alistair Cook. 
it's just spooky sort of stuff. Yeah, pretty serendipitous, wasn't it? Look, the real scary thing is he looked like he was enjoying his cricket again. Like, he really looked like he was enjoying himself out there in the middle. And if you think about last year where he scored, like, 18 test hundreds uh, when he had all of the weight of the world on his shoulders and now he's a free man and can do what he wants and he's and he's just he's just, it's really scary. He's just going to smash it in the series, I think, Joe Root. He's just incredible. Yeah, and look, I might get this stat wrong, but you look at the other constituents of the big four and we'll leave Barbara Azam out of that. I think he should be in that conversation. None of them have scored a test hundred since January 2021 versus Joe Root's it's like 12 or 9 or something. Yeah, 16, I, something I, like I did see that stat as well. And you push it back to 2020 and Kane scored three because I don't think he's actually he played play. hardly a test he since then. Play. So it's a, it's a funny sort of stat to include Kane. But I do I do agree and that Root has just – like the nine test hundreds since then is just absolutely amazing. Anything else out of this test match before we look ahead to the second test at Trent Bridge? I've got a few things that I think we should touch on from a selection point of view for New Zealand, at least some of them forced, and I think some dominoes are likely to fall out of, out of that. I, I think we have to talk about New Zealand's batting, don't we? I mean, it's not a fun fun topic. I just said they got 50, you know, 50 for eight in that top four, but... I mean, what do are we, are we? I mean, we talked about it in the warm-up game. You know, how worried are we by all of that sort of stuff that happened? I think the the thing for me was that, that I've just we just said it with Root that the intent it sort of I don't know it didn't really feel like that top four of New Zealand kind of had that that they didn't gather how to play on that pitch and and that was the most tricky thing that they couldn't find a way to easily just get off the mark. I don't, I don't think that uh, we need to, you know, sound the alarm, push the panic button. Uh, you know, you're never going to replace Conway or Williamson. Latham and and Latham has done plenty over the last five years. Uh, young, sure, he's he is he has a young career so far, but um, look, he's the best of what we've got at the moment, and I think we should stick with them. This is one of those times. England's not an easy place to bat. Definitely, as a opening batter, anyone in the top four or five. But uh, yeah, for me, no no panic button pushing for me i'd agree with the panic uh, button and not pushing it i've got a couple of questions number one i think is do you see potentially a change in the order with maybe conway actually opening the batting and will young dropping into the middle order as a potential option and this, the second thing I, I don't know whether this has come back to bite you but um we mentioned it on the pod last week the warm-up games where people got 40 odd 50 and then just kind of went and had to sit down are they going to look back and go do you know what it would have been really good to get you know real time at the crease for that top order rather than just everyone having a 40 minute net um but yeah i, I don't know about whether you know there's any shuffling of the deck chairs might be the option rather than the, the panic button as raj says i've seen a lot of that well young chat and i, I just don't buy it at all. I, to me, it, it's, it's just nonsense because people go, oh, Will Young, people have been saying, oh, Will Young's not an opener. It's quite clear that Will Young's not an opener. He's been an opener for two or three years. Like, this is not a new thing that we've just shunted him up the order. And before that, he was at number three. So it's not like, oh, Will Young's been batting at five and we've made a decision. And then people go, oh, well, Conway's an opener. Conway's the exact same thing. He's been batting three and four for his whole career. And then he got put in at the opening spot because New Zealand didn't really have a, a player to, or the only the only role to fill in that side because we had Williamson, Taylor, Nichols in that 3-4-5, that Conway's spot was to open. And yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I mean, you can say what you like about Will Young. He's, you know, maybe he hasn't performed well enough in that opening spot. I think that's a starting to become a legitimate conversation. I had a few calls from the, the bank manager this week well, that Willie Young stock I've been purchasing is not uh, 
not performing as well as I'd hoped. But, uh, you know, I, I think that that's a legitimate conversation because the, the ways he's getting out are concerning. You know? that, that's, the, that's the concerning bit for me. And, and it would also be concerning for you, I think, if you're building condos on Will Young Island and the lack yeah. of building materials at the moment that are available in, here in New Zealand, I think that's going to be a problem. The thing that, the thing that concerns me about Will Young is that he has been dismissed in the same way over and over again and bowlers are starting to work him out. He's got to go away now between now and Trent Bridge and figure out a way to combat those bowlers are going to just relentlessly pursue him. And if there are two of the best bowlers in the history of Test cricket at relentlessly pursuing a weakness, it's James Anderson and Stuart Broad. So he's going to have to figure out how to get his feet moving and how to avoid just prodding outside off stump and nicking off to the wicketkeeper. That's the real concerning piece for me. The other thing that concerns me a tiny little bit is I didn't see a lot of Devin moving his feet in that first test. He looked like he was playing a lot from the crease out in front of him, and so he's probably got some work to do in the nets. He sorts that out, and I think he'll be fine going forward. But they're the two things that kind of looked concerning to me uh, in terms of footwork and, and attitude at the crease for both of those guys. To be fair, on the Conway one, he always is like that at the start of his innings. Oh, yeah, 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 to be fair. And he was getting into his work, I think, in the second innings when he got strangled down the leg side. That was unfortunate. But you're 100% right with Will Young. It's a mindset thing he needs to figure out where his off stump is and which balls he can leave because at the moment he's playing it balls for an opener definitely for an opener in English, English conditions he needs to be able to play that front foot defense confidently and leave the ball outside off stump a lot better but I think he'll get there he has done it before so he, he, he have we made predictions we didn't do any predictions did we yeah. I, I, I did, yeah. Stuart predicted yeah, Will Young. Young. I'll back you on that. Will Young for 100 this series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, just bigger picture, I, I know this is only the first test, but New Zealand, when we were going really well in this, you know, nine months ago, the 18 months ago, we, it always felt like we were going to, we were able to win. We were able to find a way to win. What... Can you actually see a difference in this side? Because at the moment, you know, we've just been through a Bangladesh Series 1-1, South Africa Series 1-1. We've obviously lost the first test here. It, it You look through that lineup, you think Taylor's, you know, who have they lost? They've lost Taylor, they've lost Watling, they've now lost to Gronholm, but, you know, he's been there in, and, in and around the thing. Wagner hasn't played a huge amount of those tests. But you replace whatever Taylor was doing with whatever Will Young has done, and I don't think there's a huge amount of difference in the past 12 months of what Taylor was doing before that. You know, Will Young, apart from the last couple of games, has been doing reasonably well. You replace Blundell with what Watling did for that past six months. I've still had my question marks about Blundell, but same sort of thing. I'm, you know, I don't really know what the difference is in this in this side. Starch. It's the starch that oh. BJ Watling gives you. Then we think you meant Stark? Wrong team. No. Starch. Yeah. yeah, it's it's the Watling effect. It's when things are tough, Watling scored more runs than anyone else. And at the moment, when things are tough, New Zealand don't really have that person that can dig them out of the poo. But I think, I'm not going to say we were unlucky in this test. I think we lost key moments in this test that could have gone. So Stokes, DeGronholm wears a bigger shoe and Stokes, <laughs> yeah. Stokes is out for one or whatever it was, 76 yeah, for five. five. We win that test. There's no no question in my mind. I know Joe Root probably is 150 not out at the end, but we still win that test. So that's why I guess if I look back at the last 18, 18 months, two years, three years even, 
I still think we're playing that good, positive cricket that wins cricket test matches. We just haven't quite got over the line, whereas previously we've been doing just that enough in test cricket just to get us over that line. Uh, the last few, or last summer, last winter, we didn't quite get that falling our way. We should probably move to the next test, but uh, I actually think it's Kane. Can, I think the fact that Kane, we missed Kane in that summer, and we haven't now, you know, we haven't quite seen Kane. If you look back at that 12 months when we were at our absolute peak, Kane Williamson was scoring hundreds, double hundreds for just for fun. And now it's uh, it's not happening. And if that comes, turns around, it's a hugely different team. Yeah, so just, just before we move on, uh, I just wanted to... Kyle Jamieson, I thought he bowled incredibly well uh, from a New Zealand perspective. He's the one who looked really likely to to get those breakthroughs early on uh, in, in both innings. Because, um, you know, I, I, when we look at the New Zealand side, we talk about Bolt, Southie, Wagner. Jamieson is sort of that fourth seamer. Look, he may have actually usurped that in, in, in the coaching, the strategic thinking of the New Zealand cricket team. And look, who can argue with it after that performance that he put out at Lords? He said he said that in an interview, I think, in uh, in uh, all the, the you know the lead up to that test. He said he saw himself as kind of the fourth egg of, of that New Zealand bowling attack. But uh, I mean, you're absolutely right. You can see that he's been picked above Wagner in uh, in the past nine months. He's always been picked above Wagner when they've had to make a decision. And I actually, you know, in the New Zealand summer, I, I think I said on the last podcast, I, I didn't wasn't that impressed with him. I I thought he'd you know, take it, not necessarily taken a step back, but it just wasn't, it wasn't happening for him. He wasn't bowling those wicket-taking balls all the time. But yeah, I was absolutely delighted to see him back to that because, you know, it makes a huge difference to our attack. Yeah, for, from an English perspective, he's definitely the one I was the most worried about when he had the, the ball in his hand in this test match. I, I want you guys to solve an internal dilemma that I've got. Um, so we'll do it on the podcast, shall we? Um, um, ben Folks, um, his home test debut, um, four years after making his uh, test debut, I think in Sri Lanka. Um, so Lord's home of cricket, not a bad place to make your, your, your home debut. What did you guys think about his credentials? You know, his, his stock's clearly gone up a little bit. Um, big difference between him and Blunder with the gloves, but Blunder letting through... Um, a hell of a lot of extras looks generally pretty untidy difficult place to keep wicket England um, but yeah what were your thoughts on folks as he ended that sort of debate around a Bairstow or a Butler getting the gloves for a, for a short period of time or still some question marks for you guys oh, it hasn't completely ended it but those those second innings runs to seal England's victory and, and being not out a little bit of red ink at the end is very valuable for him for his confidence I think he he needs to be able to hold his own as a batter against against Butler and against Besto because he is probably I think Adam you would agree probably the better wicketkeeper of the three of those would that be fair to say do you think No he's comfortably the best <laughs> wicketkeeper <laughs> of those three I was trying to be I was trying to be kind but yes he's he's clearly the best he's clearly the best wicketkeeper I feel like if he can hold his own as a batter and those second innings runs will be important I think the seats his for at least a, a little while the only time I think that the pressure will come on for someone like Joss Butler to return as wicketkeeper is if the runs dry up for Ben Folks because he's clearly the best wicketkeeper. And uh, you, you mentioned it off um, off here actually. My, my query is, does it matter less his you know pureness of glove when he's not having to stand up as much when places like England where spinners are not used or rarely used uh, in the international level for what we've seen over the last couple of years? 
is you know runs runs as his currency. I'll just jump in. You know, not even not being a keeper. I think the, that he. I mean, they they gave him a lot of praise for it on uh, in the commentary. But actually, the, a couple of catches that he took mm. diving forward no. and stuff low. That one of them was Williamson when you know Williamson obviously uses soft hands all the time. That might not have carried to a lot of other keepers. You know, very hard to say. Bearstow did that without a glove on, so it's just... Fair enough, fair enough. Well, yeah, you wouldn't want to take him out of slip there, would you? Yeah, look, I I think I'm with you on this, Lippy. Butler, folks, Folks. um, took a couple of really good catches that I I just don't think a batsman with gloves would have have actually pouched. Um, So I think, you know, the, the... the metric I probably use in this test match is you didn't notice Ben Folks is keeping, um, and the bits that you did notice were those exemplary catches. You certainly noticed Blundell; uh, he was untidy throughout the game, um, and, and kind of almost you know you stood up and noticed um, uh, noticed that. So yeah, big tick for me. Um, yeah, nice to see that pure keeper, but yeah, I, I think still still some question marks that you guys can't answer for me just yet. I think uh, it's quite clear probably to the listeners how uh, physical up we are for, for the return of Test Cricket we've obviously won game and I, I honestly think we could talk easily for another half an hour just about this game but we probably should move on to the second test. Do you think there'll be any like any changes for England or is it just fantastic Brendan McCullum and Key talked at the start about how they're not going to muck around with rotation, is it just roll, roll the boys back out again? Well I, I think obviously from the team sheet that was submitted at 10.59 there will be one change which will be I, I think Parkinson keeps his place ahead of Leach. Leach comes out of the seven day stand down period from a concussion perspective I believe the day before the game so I, I think it would be a big ask for him to uh, come out of that and then straight in, into the game. Um, it depends how they're thinking though. Um, I would hope if he is declared fit and he's in the right um, I was going to say headspace, but I'm still going to say headspace. Um, <laughs> if he is in the right headspace going into that, I would really hope they say, do you know what? We have talked a hell of a lot as a team. Brendan McCollum said, I'm going to give you three simple things, chase every ball to the boundary, um, and then two other things. Um, but, uh, <laughs> they, they, but, uh, no, I think he was talking about the way that you express yourself as a cricketer, but um, what, one of his sort of non-negotiables was that, you know, that's a way that we set the tone. If he then says, well, sorry, mate, you're missing out because you chased a ball to the boundary and concussed yourself for us, um, and now this lad's got a run instead of you, I think that that would be grossly unfair. So, yeah, look, I, I think they do... Um, I, I think they do have to rinse and repeat this lineup, and I, I don't see McCollum changing that mentality, and certainly don't see him rotating uh, Overton in, for example. So pa- Parkinson wasn't, um, you know, part of the original plans. Obviously, Leach was. Do you think that there's room there to go with your all-rounder spinner option and then play a fourth seamer? The all-round spinning option is, of course, Joe Root. There is, but I don't think they'll do it. Um, I, I, look, I, I just think it's a simple equation. Um, you've won a Test match. Keep it simple. Um, keep it simple, stupid. Yeah, absolutely. Raj, anything for New Zealand? I mean, I know now we've got Colin de Gronholm. I, I think if he's he's missing the test, I actually think if he was fit, this conversation is a lot more difficult because, uh, you know, Nichol, Nichols is potentially back. Mitchell, the one who uh, replaced him, was our best performer with the bat in that test. But now is it just is it as simple as Nichols comes in for De Gronholm? It does leave us without an all rounder in that situation. I think that's okay. Um, I think that's all right. The um, the question I have is actually whether they 
choose Ajaz over someone like Neil Wagner, purely for the fact that I have no problem selecting a spinner, but I feel like we selected a spinner in the first game just because, not 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 because we actually had a plan to use him in a in a certain way, and that that came out. Maybe their plans changed after the first morning. I don't know, but the way he was utilised in that that first test was not. Not good enough for me strategically. Uh, I would have rather seen uh, you know Neil Wagner in there. He would have added more value with the bat and with the ball in that situation. Um, sorry, just going back to your Daryl Mitchell thing. I was very critical of him earlier. You know, we were talking about in earlier pods about um, Hamish Nichols and if he was not going to play. Henry Nichols, you mean? Ham- Hamish yeah, Rutherford. Hamish Rutherford. Henry Nichols, if he was going to play. Um, and Daryl Mitchell just proved me wrong. He's done a great job once again for New Zealand with the bat. And he, he actually looked the best in the first innings as well. So unfortunately, he didn't get to kick on. But um, yeah, I, th- I think he has to oh, he has I, to hold his place. Absolutely. I mean, uh, um, I think with Mitchell, the, the nice thing with him every time he comes to the crease is that intent thing. When, you, when, when he walks out to bat, you see that he wants to... He wants to score runs. It's not, and it's not reckless batting. It's quite clear that he is thinking, okay, how can I put the bowler off their length and let make them bowl to me rather than let them bowl at me? And yeah, that's. I think that's what's been the most impressive about Mitchell this whole way through. But yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I, if I was picking this side, the way that Ajaz has been used, there's no, absolutely no question that he would not be in my side. As much as I want to pick him. You know, I want New Zealand to develop spinners. I just don't think that. I don't think there's any value in picking a spinner for the sake of it. And people go on and on and on in New Zealand about we've, we've got to develop spinners and, and do all this stuff. But when you get to actually get to game day, those questions have to go out the window. It's not about picking a spinner at, so that they can be in your side. You have to pick a spinner to actually use them and utilize them. And they didn't use AJs. They had opportunities to use AJs in that fourth innings, and they didn't do it. And if they're not going to do that, then they should pick Neil Wagner. Just a quick side question on AJs. Does it worry you how uh, he was treated when Ben Stokes took took hold of him and put him in, in the stands a few times? Does, does that worry you at all? I, I is, it, is it just a, you know, it's just that, that situation at the time. He only got two overs. I think it's pretty alarming, yeah. It's, it's worrying that you, I mean... It's worrying that you don't have the confidence to at least kind of give him another crack. I, I don't, you know, that situation, there was still enough runs to play with. I know you don't want to just feed Ben Stokes runs, but if you put, you know, you mean, they had you mean back anyway. If you, if, you know. He nearly bowled him, didn't he, as well? Yeah. I, trying to repeat the shot. So, yeah. If, if Stokes wants to hit out and do that, and, and I think you at least have to give the confidence. And that's what I liked about what Stokes did with Parkinson is that he said, okay, Southie's going to have a crack at Parkinson, but I'm going to give him a bowl because I think he's a good chance to get him out. And, you know, maybe it didn't work. And uh, with a, well, maybe it wouldn't have worked with Ajaz. Maybe Stokes would have got another 20 off the next two or three overs. And, uh, and it would have put England in a really great position. But, you know, I, I don't know. If you if you don't have confidence to bowl him in tricky situations, then why is he in the side? So, yeah, I, I think it has to be Wagner. And uh, you, you, as much as I enjoy the way that Matt Henry's been bowling, he replicates so much with what Southie and Bolt do that if both of them are going to play, I don't think there's space for, for Matt Henry. So, yeah, I would be going with Mitchell at seven. Nichols comes back in, bats five. Keep everything else the same, and then you you roll out your four seamers, and you say this is what we do, this is what we've done for for years, and it's worked for us really really well, and we back ourselves to bounce back in this game. And boys, just do you, do you think that that rolls out Southie and Bolt again, having just come back from the IPL, or is there a chance that one of them gets rotated out for a Matt Henry? 
I, I don't want to see a rotation policy. If if they are fit, they play, in my in my opinion. That, that's me. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, I, I think they'll play. I, you know, I think I said it the, in the preview pod that I think I think we will see a lot of different bowlers over this three-match series. I think there's a chance, obviously, if Wagner comes back in for this test, there's a chance maybe we see Henry for, for the last test, depending on how those two other two guys are going. But, yeah, I, I don't think you... Like I said, this feels like a massive missed opportunity. It feels like a missed opportunity for New Zealand. We were 45 for seven, but we were then on top in this game. And I don't think you suddenly go, okay, we were completely outplayed in this test. We have to make drastic changes. You're rolling out your same side that you thought was good enough before. And I think that's why I don't think we need the all-rounder because it's quite clear to me that aside from Root and from Stokes sometimes – I think the New Zealand bowlers will feel pretty confident that they can that four bowlers will be plenty enough to bowl, you know, this England side. Same way that the English side probably feels about the New Zealand batting at the moment. So yeah, I, I don't think it's necessary that we have all these different options. I think it's as simple as going, look, we've we've got the players that can do the job. Let's do it again. One one last thing before we uh, leave New Zealand, England, we've got through I don't know what it, whatever we are forty five minutes or forty minutes on this uh, this test now. We haven't mentioned Brendan McCullum. It was so weird. I, I I know I talked about before the series saying good on him, great that he's got this gig. I didn't like him sitting there, you know, with his feet up next to next to those young English batters and just. What did you want him to do? Go well, sit on the other balcony. He just looked so chilled, and uh, yeah, I I didn't like it. It felt really, really weird, and um, you know, but to give him his credit, they have raved about what he's done, and and all of the, you know, his foot, his fingerprints are just all over the this test match. Matt, Matt Potts talked about, I think, after that first, uh, after the first day, I think he talked about how. You know, there was all these analogies, but boxing analogies. We're gonna th- if they throw two punches at us, we're gonna throw four back at them. We're gonna play entertaining cricket. I, I mean, you, that that's got to get you fizzing, Binksy. Yeah, look, it did seem you know feel a bit weird seeing him on on the bank balcony in that um, lovely um, colour England kit, actually. But Raj, love big fan color. of the merch. Um, yeah, look, weird. I, I think I, I look. I don't know too much about this. He didn't do press after the test match. He actually. Um, and look, use this word sort of in inverted commas, he refused to do press. He sent other people out to do that. I think, you know, reading between the lines, he didn't want to be seen to be taking any credit for the, um, you know, the architecture of New Zealand's downfall in his in his first uh, first game. But look, p- promising signs. Um, his fingerprints are there and thereabouts. But, you know, I don't think two or three days with that side has really, um, m- you know, made that impact. I think we talked about it. It was going to be a little bit of a shootout uh, with players returning from the IPL and stuff like that. And England, of um, yeah, look, they've probably thrown three punches to New Zealand's too, haven't they? Um, and, and that was um, decisive. Well, you heard it here on this podcast. The only thing that we want to rotate is crops. Uh, let's rotate um, to the next, <laughs> the next field <laughs> on our podcast. We're going to talk Sri Lanka, Australia. So there is cricket going on elsewhere in the world, Baldy. It's not all just at the home in St John's Wood. Yeah, there's lots of cricket going on. Australia, Sri Lanka, and also Pakistan, West Indies kicks off tonight, actually, New Zealand time in about an hour's time. So they're going to play an ODI as well. But I want to talk about the Australia-Sri Lanka series because the wheels are falling off for Australia in terms of our preparation for this T20 World Cup. This time last year... <laughs> is that because Finch has got runs, is it? Yeah, well, Finch has got runs and our bowlers are doing the right you things. And we've won, we're winning games now. It's all... like This reminds me of the George Best situation where the reporter 
went to his hotel room and there were, you know, there were there were there were women there, there were drugs, there was champagne. It was just a hedonistic feast. And the reporter just walked into the room and went, George, 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 where did it all go wrong? Um <laughs> It's what it feels like for Australia because we're used to not winning T20s. We're used to being behind the eight ball in terms of our preparation for a T20 World Cup. But all of a sudden, Finch is making runs and Warner's making runs and the, the side looks a little bit settled and our bowlers are doing well and we seem like we've got an idea of what our first 11 should look like. So, look, the wheels are just about to fall off for Australia. I think the three things that I'm looking for in this series against Sri Lanka, particularly in the white ball stuff, is making sure that this is not a flash in the pan for Aaron Finch and that he does find some form. Back-to-back T2050s now in international cricket for Aaron Finch, so he is starting to find a little bit of form there, but I want to see him consistently scoring runs at the top of the order for Australia, and that will mean that his captaincy and his leadership is locked and loaded and we're ready to go. The thing that we need to build in this series, which we did a really good job last year, is building depth in our squad. We found Mitchell Marsh, we found a whole bunch of players that were kind of coming into the side because the big names were out. Smith and Warner and Cummins and all those guys didn't play a lot. So we were able to experiment with that squad a little bit and find a little bit of depth and find Matthew Wade as a finisher and find Mitchell Marsh as a number three. And we need to make sure that we're covering those bases because it's a 15-man game, this this World Cup in Australia, not just an 11-man game. So I'm liking that uh, the Ashton Agar is in there. I'm liking that we've got the other fast bowlers in there as well, Kane Richardson, Jai Richardson. Uh, we need them to be able to step up as well. Well, and your, your A-team's in Sri Lanka playing against Sri Lanka A as well at the same time. Yes, they're playing now. Uh, Australia are 54 for one. And uh, my man, Josh Inglis, I think is out actually. Uh, and but Henry Hunt, the guy that I that I predicted oh, is going to well, good fellas. Mm, uh, he's going to no. He well, he's an opening bat as well as being out of the movie. It's Henry Hill, but that's <laughs> fair enough. enough. Um, with uh, with the series, look, there's a lot going on uh, off the field for Sri Lanka politically. I think that you know their their minds are probably elsewhere. But the question that Australia needs to answer again is that middle order. You know that finisher six seven. Eight even. Yep. Where, who is going to fill out those spots? Do, do you think that Australia is any closer to an answer or are they going to deviate from anything that, that they have been winning with? I think the the question that they haven't answered yet is where does Tim David fit in that Australian lineup? His form at the back end of the IPL was excellent. Front end of the IPL wasn't great, but back end of the IPL was excellent and has proved that he and Wade can be finishers for Australia. I think Marcus Stoinis is pretty comfortable in there at that kind of 5-6 position. The real question is what what is Australia going to do with Stephen Smith's spot? At the moment, he's batting at 5 for Australia, so that would naturally be where Stoinis would go and then Tim David might slide in at number six and have weighed at seven that seems to be the formula from a batting point of view that australia like to go with they went in the last world cup i think seven batters plus the four bowlers and then you've got to get four overs from stoinis maxwell and marsh is the formula for australia for the for the way forward so the interesting thing for me is they've taken the mr fix it tag off steve smith they've said you don't have to be the anchor man you don't have to be will ferrell you can just go out and express yourself and be whoever you want to be stephen smith and you can go and bash the ball about if you think that that's the best thing for your game so it will be in- really interesting to see how long they persevere with that or whether they start to experiment with i would think tim david would be the next cab off the rank but they might go with someone like ben mcdermott although they think they want him as an opener, maybe Josh Inglis at six, someone like that. Uh, but I think it's probably Tim David at the moment who would be that guy naturally to come in at six for Australia. And you see someone coming from outside of that almost probably 30-man group that's that's there now. So they've got an A squad and a regular squad there. You've, you mentioned a couple of guys there that aren't even 
in the thinking from that perspective. I think Tim David's playing at the moment for Lancashire, isn't he, in the, the T20 Blast? Yeah, I think th- I think domestic runs are going to be the currency for Tim David. Though I think if Australia do decide that they're going to go with him, they'll 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 parachute him into the squad. There's room for a bolter. Yeah, yeah. and 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 he's he's away laughing. I mean, the guys that they've got in that Australia A squad: Cameron Green, Nick Maddinson, Matt Renshaw, Henry Hunt. A lot of those guys are predominantly red ball cricketers, but they're seeing what they're kind of yeah, doing okay. in that white ball space. Um, so Philippe Inglis and. Tim David, I think, are the three that they would probably be looking at. They've tried Ben McDermott. I'd like to be a big Ben McDermott fan, but I'm really not. I think they've tried him. <laughs> I think they've, they've tried him and it hasn't kind of worked for him. But I think T- Tim David is is de rigueur, um, and so I think they'll, they'll be the one that he goes with. This thing, with Steve Smith betting at five, they have the, the insurance there to play somebody like a finisher, Tim David. He could change a game in 10, 10 balls. Yeah. So, you know, why not? Yep, I think so. I think that'd be the way forward for Australia. They look much more dangerous with him at six, I think. Let's move on to the final segment of tonight's pod. Lippy, I know this got you hot as a pistol, didn't it? Greg Barclay's comments around the future of test cricket. Um, For listeners out there, we've all agreed that none of us have done any research on this. So this is going to be shooting well and truly from the hip. So if there are any facts that you want to check, um, please don't email in um, because um, this is going to be just an emotional segment, I think. And we'll let uh, Lippy have opening rights. Yeah, well, look, I, I, you know, as you say, I, I have not, I did not listen to the interview. I'm reading his quotes from different uh, articles but it seems very clear that Greg Barclay has, has had comments uh, interviewed by Test Match Special during that England-New Zealand test. And, yeah, he's made some comments about Test cricket that I, I guess, yeah, just it, they really triggered me. And I, and I feel like uh, they're, at least it will be cathartic for me to just talk about them on this podcast. I actually think it's a topic that we could talk about for another half an hour, but I know this podcast is going for a long time. So, look, I, the, the things that I'll say, and I will quote him directly here, there will be some unfortunate consequences from a playing experience and revenue point of view for some of the countries who won't get the amount of cricket that they might hope to have, and they won't get exposure, particularly against England and to a lesser extent Australia, or t- particularly against India and to a lesser extent Australia and England. So we'll see a squeeze. Then he goes on to say some countries may have to make room and play t- less Test cricket. Some of the f- smaller full members will have to accept that they can't play the amount of Test cricket they wanted. Too, so that we might see a lessening of that, maybe four or five tests a year, whereas England, Australia and India will be playing test cricket as they are now. He also then went on to make comments about the women's game and say essentially that he doesn't see the structures at the domestic level, that test cricket can really be a factor for, for the women's game. He went on and talked about how there are ICC tournaments every year and the majority of those are, are white ball. He talked about how the T20 leagues are just springing up and uh, how he can't, you know, the ICC can't really stop that. That's not something, that's not part of their remit. If people want to have T20 leagues, they can go ahead and do that. But I suppose it just got me thinking, like, if, if the ICC, surely the ICC should have some role in shaping what cricket looks like. And, it, and if the way that Greg Barclay is talking, I mean, he talked about in 10, 15 years time, I still see test cricket being an integral part of the game. But the way he's talking and the way that I that the T20 leagues are springing up. I mean, we've just seen one in UAE being announced. There's one in South Africa that got announced a few months ago. We've got the hundred. We've got the BBL. We've got the IPL trying to. They want about 15 IPLs a year, and they want them all to last eight months. And it's like it, it just feels like that that 
cricket, it's not going to take long before cr- the international cricket changes in a drastic way. And I think t- there, there is starting to feel like, to me, a, a danger that test cricket is going to suffer in, in a big way. And if the ICC have their... If the ICC has a role in shaping test cricket or in shaping cricket in general, w- shouldn't shouldn't they be trying to direct towards, you know, I don't know, keeping test cricket? I, I think it's an important part of, of the game. You hear the players talk about it. They think it's an important part of the game. Should Yeah, should the ICC not be doing more to try and make this uh, a different situation? Well, look, I, I don't know where we start, but look, we've got 17 hours left on the memory card. Um, <laughs> Uh, there were a couple of positives to come out of that conversation. So he did talk about the fact he, he felt that the you know India, England, Australia would continue to play <laughs> Test cricket for to the same sort of level. And you know, there's obviously the monetary component there. He talked about cricket in the Olympics as well in that interview as well, and it looks as if it's pretty close to that being um, certainly, if not sort of confirmed, very very strong possibility that. T20, because um, it can't be anything shorter than T20. It needs to be a format that's played, will be in the Olympics. So if that's the legacy of the ICC, are we comfortable with that? Um, I, for me, I, I just, I don't think they've got the teeth to actually, you know, throw too much weight around. They don't have the budget. They don't have the profile. Um, we were talking about it before. We're not even sure, um, you know, they look after the laws with the MCC in, in charge of the laws of the game. So really they are, and it's been a criticism that's been leveled at the ICC for a long 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 time and and perhaps a little bit unwarranted because they just don't have that governance to to be able to do the things that they would be able to do if they were given teeth. The thing that really concerns me about those comments is it smacks of, and I'm reading between the lines here, this is my interpretation of it, I'm not saying that this is what the ICC are going to do, but it sounds to me like he's setting people up for, hey, if Test Cricket is not making you money in your country, then the ICC aren't in a position to continue to fund Test Cricket as a as a thing so if new zealand or maybe even let's say ireland or afghanistan or scotland or those kind of um nations that rely on icc funding to produce cricket programs if they can't stand test cricket on its own feet financially then they're not going to get to play much test cricket and that's why the the comments around the women's test um structure and the test structure for not associate nations but nations that don't play as often as the big three that's the real concerning piece for me because they're the opportunities that we really should be pursuing and the things that we should be using as the big three in positions of privilege to be an ally for those nations and be able to lift them up rather than say, well, if you guys can't afford to fund test cricket, well, bad luck to you, bug you. That's not really how we're going to develop better cricket in a, in a world game, right? That then becomes all about money. It becomes all about franchise tournaments and it becomes – other than a World Cup every four years, we've got the football model, right? Where where rich clubs and rich leagues have all the best players. And if you want to develop, you go and go into those systems rather than being actually, what are, what are we doing to build up cricket in those in those associate nations? Yeah, I, for me, I know we all like that term. For me, I think it boils down to Greg Barclay, CEO of the ICC. He's got a fiduciary responsibility to the game to keep it strong financially. And how, how he does that is not, not through test cricket, unfortunately. It's through getting more people playing the game at grassroots level and getting more associate nations, we'll call them, playing international cricket 
primarily with the white ball because they are not test-playing nations. Uh, they've done what they can in putting Ireland and Afghanistan into that red ball test cricket format, but those cricketing programs, as well as a lot of others, are going to need to be held up by the ICC in order to keep them going. We look at places like Sri Lanka at the moment, where their issue at the moment is actually putting food on the table, not keeping cricket running mm. in the country. That could happen for a lot of different nations around the world. Uh, it's not just going to be. I've seen it with Zimbabwe, didn't we? Exactly. So they've got they've got a responsibility to those countries to keep the game strong. It's not just Test cricket, and unfortunately, uh, if Test cricket cannot sustain itself, which is what we have seen over the last what decade, two decades maybe, uh, they're going to be paying them less and less. Yeah, it's a really difficult one because I don't think it's the job of India and Australia and England to, you know, sort of entertain philanthropy for everybody else that plays the game of cricket as a board, your Cricket Australia or the BCCI, and we, we criticise them a lot, the ECB. Their responsibility is for the game in their own country and the money that they get from playing whatever cricket they want to play and what, selling whatever TV deal they want to sell, that's how they invest in their grassroots cricket, how they develop players for their own uh, structure. So unless the ICC is given a clear mandate, then I, I don't think you, you know, it, it's a really difficult thing to then criticise the boards for saying, well, we're run as a commercial entity. We have to look after our stakeholders, uh, whether that's their, um, you know, their, their infrastructure for women's cricket or grassroots cricket or um, any other, you know, type of cricket that needs to be played in that jurisdiction. So it, it's a really difficult position that the ICC find themselves in that they, you know, they are having that, as you said, Raj, fiduciary responsibility for the game, but we really without any of the artillery to enforce it across the nations that they um they're not even policing are they that they're more like those you know police community support officers that don't have a warrant card and have to wait for someone to turn up with one and you know they're not allowed pepper spray and all that kind of stuff and, and this is the real challenge for the icc because they are the body that should be participating in and driving revenue sharing across cricket if you want to take a, an 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 analogy for something like American sport where you've got the National Basketball Association in America has got 30 teams, some of them in massive, massive markets like New York and LA and Chicago that have billion dollar TV deals. And you have a team like Minnesota or um, Oklahoma City that are in tiny, tiny markets who have bugger all in terms of their TV deals. The way that they make that whole league work and make the value of each of those franchises work for their owners and the cricket equivalent is their national boards is through revenue sharing. And so the revenue sharing model for cricket needs to support the strategy for growing the game at a test level and at an associate nation level. And that's the real challenge where the ICC are trying to, I think, trying to set that up. But the words and the rhetoric of their CEO and their chairman is not matching what they need to be doing financially to be able to set up a revenue sharing model where big billion dollar TV deals through India or England for, or Australia for the ashes are being used for, as you say, a little bit of philanthropy to make sure that there is a seat at the table for for Ireland and Afghanistan and Scotland and the Netherlands and, and New Zealand and New Zealand and South Africa and Sri Lanka to be able to continue playing test cricket because if it is just Australia and England and India playing test cricket all the time against each other and no one else gets a seat at the table audiences will quickly tire of that because it will become monotonous and boring will they Oh yeah, I think they will. Absolutely. I don't I don't want to, I don't want to see the only three nations playing test cricket 
being Australia, India, and and England because there's no variety, there's no spice there, there's no regional rivalry, there's no there's no India versus Pakistan Test match at you know at Karachi. To well, that's not to, that's for different well, reasons. Yeah, though, that, <laughs> but 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 political political issues aside, that is a rivalry in sport that should exist at Test cricket. You know. Australia against New Zealand playing for a Trans-Tasman Trophy is a rivalry that should exist in the game of Test cricket. And and the logical conclusion to what Greg Barkley said is if New Zealand can't afford to host Australia and Australia don't have any skin in the game to try and support that from a philanthropy and allyship point of view, it's not going to happen anymore. Or it will happen so rarely that, you know, Australia don't play New Zealand for eight years at a time at an it's international about, level. It's about the same as now. The, the, well, and, and, and is that a good thing or a bad I thing? Think I think thing. it's bloody terrible. Just, just just to cut you off, the difference. Someone should. Yeah, just the difference. <laughs> the difference between that. That's actually a really good analogy. The American sports market is that people vote with their eyes, vote with their feet. Someone, people are always going to watch Utah play the LA Lakers. They're always going to watch that, whereas they're not necessarily going to watch Afghanistan play England. You're not going to get Definitely that viewership. Definitely not at basketball. Not at basketball, <laughs> but you're not going to get that viewership around the world. And unfortunately, you know, you talk about revenue sharing, LA to an extent like having Utah, like having that because they bring people in, they bring a new audience and, and people who aren't even fans of either of those two teams will watch that game. Whereas you'll find you don't really get those neutrals in cricket. We're not really voting with our eyes or our feet. People like us watch will watch that. But I think the general cricketing public may not watch those and, games. And that was my point. And I don't disagree with anything that you've said. And please don't take this as me saying that this is the way that it should be. But um, we're not seeing the figures for the Ashes viewing figures decline. We're not seeing figures for um, the Border Gavaskar trophy decline. We're not seeing England-India test cricket figures decline. If anything, we're seeing those deals increase. So my, my argument is, yes, New Zealand will get thrown the odd bone and the odd two-test tour because when they're competitive, then that does get eyeballs on it. But I, 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 I wrestle with the fact that it's India's responsibility, England's responsibility, and Australia's responsibility to do that. Um, I, I think, you know, a tooth, you know, a tooth, if that's a word, governing body is what we need. We don't have that. This is Packer potentially all over again, right? Um, in, in terms of the way this might manifest itself, you know, it, it will be the governing body trying to fight against a behemoth of a, of a TV rights deal to get the best players playing on the, on the biggest stage. Well, and I think to take your analogy about uh, NBA and, you know, even like the English Premier League and all of those other leagues, you know, I had franchise leagues down on my notes as well, because I think if you look at that structure, the the franchise leagues are the superior level almost than international level, and or, or they're very very close in terms of uh, where they stand in terms of maybe people's perception of things. You know, people obviously football love the World Cup, all of those kind of things, but actually on a more regular basis, people are just loving the Premier League and and all of those kind of things. If you look at the way that cricket is structured. I worry that the that has big concerns for if we're going to go down this model, cricket doesn't have leagues that last for eight months or, or anything like that. We have all these little short leagues. IPL's trying. Yeah, well the IPL is trying, but it, it feels like where you know, where does international cricket fit in? At the moment it's been like, okay, where can we squeeze in these franchise leagues? But if that flips on its head and it starts becoming where does international cricket 
fit into all these Ooh, major... Where does Test Cricket where fit does in? Test, and where does Test Cricket fit in? Then, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, it, it, it gives me pause, I guess, is probably where we should stop. Because, yeah, again, I think no, we should... I this, don't know how we get out of this yeah, segment, this, by this the way. Trend, I, I, this trend has been emerging and it's been happening for a long time. It's not going to go away. The real concern is I don't want to, I don't want to see a cricket world where the only time we see Afghanistan play cricket or the Netherlands play cricket is at a World Cup every... Well, at the moment, it's every year, but every four <laughs> years. I don't want that to be the model that we have for for the game of cricket and that there might be the odd friendly window in September where Australia can play England in five tests in, in 30 days and then we're back into WBBL and BBL in Australia and, and we've come from, you know, the English... T20 league directly into the Australian league and we have a month for, for test cricket in the middle. That's not a model of cricket that I want to see. I think that's where we're going. Scary stuff. Well, yeah, like I said, I don't know about that segment <laughs> of the podcast. So we have given you your money's worth uh, this evening with over 14 hours of content on uh, New Zealand, England. Second test coming up, Trent Bridge kicks off Friday night um, here in New Zealand. We won't bother with predictions because clearly I'm going to say we're going to, uh, England are going to lose. Lippy and Raj will say that Kiwis are going to lose and Bordy will find a way to sit on the fence and hedge his bets. Um, but for now, it is good night and God bless from us all here in Auckland. Thanks very much for listening and we'll see you very, very soon. Good night. Good night.